And welcome back to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life experiences of trials and the tools they've learned along the way to still live their best lives. I am Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. And you guys, it's the best day ever because guess who our guest is today? Woohoo! It's Michelle Scharf. We have had a lot of our listeners that have reached out and said, hey, we want to hear a little more of your stories, meaning us, I guess, as we've interviewed several people. And early on in the podcast, maybe you might have missed it, one of our first episodes, we have kind of a little backstory, a little about Michelle, a little about me, a little about how our paths crossed. But today... We're going to go a little more in depth into the John and Michelle Scharf story. So, Michelle, thanks for yes. joining us. And Thank you. Let's hear. Can you give us a little background stuff that maybe our listeners don't don't really know a little more of, of your and John's story? Yeah. So uh, we, we've talked about how we met and those kind of things in the previous episodes. I, I think I'll skip over all of those things. Um, we were married uh, 32 years and... Um, on our 30th wedding anniversary, we took um, a trip that we had long desired to go on, um, did a three-island hop, 10 days in um, in Hawaii, and we had had that, that trip planned. Um, so that we did that trip uh, June 27th. We were there on our wedding anniversary, but that, that was already pre-planned before we had gotten the diagnosis. Hmm. So we had planned that a year in advance. So um, so the year previous to that was 2016. And um, we had just built this beautiful deck and this beautiful extension of our backyard. And I was working with him on it. He was so tired. I was lifting those huge trex boards. They weigh tons. And, you know, he's a big contractor. He's the big guy who's usually out there throwing those things like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And usually like five or ten, you know, whatever he can get in his hands at a time. I was dragging one at a time to him (laughs) as he was screwing in the deck boards. We are having a great time and we are planning the next 30 years of our life. And that September um, on Labor Day, he woke up that Sunday and, and said, oh, my gosh. Uh, he took, he got up and took a shower and when he got out of the shower, he, he came out of the bathroom and said, Michelle, I need you to get dressed. I need you to take me to the hospital right now. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Wow. So he'd been complaining about pain and fatigue for a while. That weekend, he really kind of was working through it, but he wasn't really complaining a lot about how tired he was or pain necessarily. He had it. Before then, but that weekend particularly, he didn't until that day. Hmm. And, um, you know, I knew we were in trouble because I've had multiple events. And uh, the neighborhood that we lived in before, all of the ward members would always say, is this his ninth life? Is <laughs> no, oh, we saw the ambulance show up at the Sharp House again. You know, one time he was working on a job and um, they didn't have a... a an electric uh, grinder. So he had to rent a gas uh, cement grinder and he ended up um, giving himself 
carbon monoxide poisoning. From the fumes. Oh, no. <laughs> so when you say the ambulances had come, it wasn't because he had physical health issues. No. It was from accidents and incidents. <laughs> yes. Okay. Like there was Otherwise, a, time, a healthy guy. Yeah. There was a time that he was blown off a ladder in a commercial building because somebody didn't put the wiring on correctly. And he was doing a remodel job there. And when he reached his hand up around to, to get a hold of something up above a beam, there was a three... 30 volt line oh, that was my gosh. open and he hit it and it blew him off the ladder. <gasps> but he was fine through all of that. Like, well, he was fine. Or... Although that, that incident actually created a short in his heart. So he had a short in his heart and he almost died four oh days gosh. later from that. And he had another incident where it happened again about 10 years later. And they said that that's when they discovered it's got to be a short. And the only way to go in there is to basically do it under surgery, figure out where the short is, and then they burn out that nerve that is creating the short. But it has its own risk as well. So John said, well, if if this is going to happen every 10 years and we kind of know what it is, then, you know, maybe I'll be fine. So we literally had had situations. Some life or death experiences. Life and death experiences. And in fact, that first one, when he got blown off the the electrical one, he he was in the... um, emergency room i show up because i my kids had chicken pox and i had to go put my kids somewhere because <laughs> this is the way it works right right and so i had young kids at the time they were all sick with chicken pox i had to get a neighbor to you know deal with that and i got up to the hospital and when i got there there was like every uh top surgeon in in the hospital at McKady standing there there's like 10 of them in that room with John. And, with John. And they're like, we don't know what's... And I'm watching his, his blood pressure just go away. And it gets down to the... The last time I looked at it, it was like 53 over 30. Like, he oh, was just slipping. And I could see him. Like, I could see him, like, leaving his body. And I put my hands on him. And I, I, I could see them doing the paddles. Mm-hmm. And I hear this voice in my head. This God inner knowing the universe, whatever this is, uh, my strange talent that I have to Your hear extra these, sense. my extra sense said, if they shock him, he's going to die. And this time we don't know anything that's going on with him. And in fact, we don't even know it's a short until 10 years later. So I find that that was an interesting thing it, I, in my head. I, I hear if they paddle his heart, he's dead. Wow. And the only thing I could think to do is they can't shock him if I'm touching you're, him. If you're over there. So I lay my hands on his chest and on his stomach and I start praying. And our home teacher came in the door and I said, give him a blessing. And they're like, uh, Michelle, I think they're kind of busy here. And I, and the doctor turned to the guy and said, uh, you might have a better solution than we do. Because they really didn't they know what it was. No idea. They never did. And so they so, didn't paddle him. They didn't paddle him. I he started come praying. Back. The home teacher gave him what a blessing. What year was this? This was, oh, I don't know. You eh. said the kids are so little. The so this kids is are all really little. A decade um, or so Yeah, ago. I, I can't do math while I'm thinking. Sure, it, it, I gotcha. That's too much work for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's um, a decade ago. It, well, it's more than I, that now. It's okay. probably been 15 years. So okay. my kids so were early all 2000s. very young at the time. Yeah. My oldest was about 15. Okay. So, yeah, about 15 years ago. Okay. And um, and so anyway, he's giving him a blessing. I'm praying as well over my husband. And my husband kind of barely opens his eyes and says, Michelle, it's okay. 
It's beautiful. It's peaceful. Everything's going to be fine. It's all going to be okay. Wow. And I got down in his face and I said, you are not leaving me with four kids to race. (laughs) And I meant I'm glad it's beautiful over there, but get back in your body. I did. I said, get back. Come back to me right now. And he did. Wow. Out of nowhere, he started coming back. Wow. We had no answers. He was released the following day and he recovered and otherwise healthy and went back otherwise to, and went back to work. The other as a day contractor. he didn't go back to work. Um, John never really took off work, but he did go home the next morning, was released and was raking our leaves in the yard. Like mm-hmm. he was a busy guy. Mm-hmm. He was just always so busy. Yeah. So I had had multiple experiences where I thought I could lose this man at any, any time. Second. I never thought it would be a health related issue. Not. Mm-hmm. He was so strong. Some, some major accident. Yeah. Something. And he had an amazing ability to, to heal. Like when, when he got electrocuted, it hit him in his hand in between his ring finger. And it went all, it traveled all the way. And you could see it. It blew out the skin in, in between his hand. It traveled all the way up his arm. And you could see the line that it traveled. This oh guy, gosh. within a couple of days, it was all gone. And his finger was mostly the. And big, he's just back at yeah. it. Yeah. And he's just up and back at it again. So, I mean. I never thought we we always told our kids your dad's superpower is the ability to heal his body. Wow. <laughs> so so then comes 2016. So 2016 comes along and for him to tell me, I mean, when he was carbon monoxide poisoned, like I can barely get him out of the bathtub. I think he's going to drown in there. I'm literally like pulling this 61 200 pound man out of this bathtub. I'm going I think you're going to die. Like I need to call and I call, I called the ambulance and he was so angry at me for doing it, but he ended up in the uh, bariatric chamber. (laughs) It was that bad. Wow. So, um, but he made it, but again, he made it. So this is what I'm talking about. Like there were so many things and he never wanted to go in so many times where he really needed to go in when he got electrocuted. I'm telling you about what happened four days later when we ended up. That happened four days later. The day it happened, I'm like, I think you should go in and get checked. He wouldn't. He's got he this burn even up go his to the arm. Hospital. His fingers are blown out. I'm thinking, I think you should probably be checked out when you get blown off a ladder. Yeah, and when I you, think you probably should. <laughs> and you have that many watts going through your body. No, he didn't. So this is what I'm talking about. An incredible stubbornness. A resistance physical to, strength, to strength, a resistance to doctors. So the, when he comes around that corner and he says, "Michelle, take me in," immediately mm. my heart sunk and I said, "Shoot!" I wow. didn't say shoot. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Edited for content. <laughs> I'm just being nice. Um, I, I I knew right then. I said, "We're in trouble." So um, we go in and we are in. In the, the emergency room, he's getting checked out for stuff. They're giving him medicine for pain. And they're telling him, look, you need to come in for an MRI. It's Labor Day weekend. We don't have anyone here. Yeah. We're it's all booked holiday, out. Sorry. It's a holiday. Sorry. We're all booked out, but we'll call you as soon as we can get, get you in. On that Tuesday morning, they called him first thing, and I couldn't believe it. He was actually excited to go. Again, I knew that was telling me that pain pain has to be unreal for this man to, number one, he's still going to work every day. He's 
sucking it up. Like yeah, he's he, not just he's, laying in bed. He doesn't lay in bed. He, it's just not his personality. He cannot do that. Like the thought of laying still for him is torture. Torture. Yeah. Like vacation. He was willing to go in and get the the MRI. Yeah. Like I, John on a vacation was like still sometimes he could relax, but like still. Not really. I mean, one time we went to Mexico and he redid the entire garden where we were staying. I'm not even joking. (laughs) You guys are great tenants. (laughs) I know. I'm like, really? Stay at my house for a week or two. There's plenty to do. I mean, this is the truth. That's like my my husband could not be still, and I miss that. I miss having. I miss that having energy. my project guy around. <laughs> Not that there was always mine getting done, but he but was just so busy. Yeah. Anyway, so we go in. Long and short of it is, uh, by that Friday, we still hadn't heard any word back on the MRI, and we had a friend who who was very close to us. She was uh, she was like a mother to us. She'd taken us in as her children. Um, I had a miscarriage um, when we had just moved into this area, and she cleared her and her husband out of their own bedroom and put me up in there and took care of me. And I mean, just salt of the earth people and just so good to us and, and our kids and just my kids acted like they were their grandparents and, and they loved us and we loved them. She was passing away from cancer and had been for like about 15 years. We had gone to say our goodbyes. And when I got home, John was so exhausted. He fell fast asleep and I got on um, the health app for, Inner Mountains Health app, and um, and I just wanted to see if anything was listed, and the entire MRI report was there. You could just see it online. I could see it online. John Sharp, here's it, your file. It should have been sealed. It should have been closed, and I shouldn't have been able to read it, but I, I was able to For read the whole reason. thing, Wow! and I read um, metastatic cancer, mm. and I I have a little bit of medical background. I actually worked in oncology in high school um, in the hospital on the floors uh, as a ward secretary, they used to call them. I think they call them unit clerks now. Sure. But, um, and so I had a little bit of background and I've been a home birth midwife. And so I have some medical knowledge and training. And I know metastatic meant cancer that started somewhere else and now it's already spread and i also know that word is generally not a good word that you want paired with cancer (laughs) those are really all i knew at the time and of course i do what everyone does i get on google (laughs) (laughs) never diagnose with google so i didn't sleep that night and uh the next day i was like horrified because you know i i can't be the one to tell my husband yeah. What am I supposed to do with that information? So you saw the file while I he saw was the asleep, file. He was asleep. I can't that. sleep. I read Google. It's now a Sunday, so there's no, no doctors. It's, it's this was Friday night. Friday so this night is Saturday. Saturday. So Saturday we were putting furniture on our deck and getting ready. Sunday our kids were coming over to enjoy this deck that we had created for the first time and have a barbecue. And so that happened too. And I kept disappearing. And one of my children came to me. And, and kept saying, what is going on? What is going on? And I, I'm like, I, 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 do, I don't know that I should tell you. Eventually, I finally, I think the third time she caught me crying in my bedroom, I finally said, I think your dad has cancer and I don't want to be the one to tell him. And I'm horrified. And, and you're carrying that weight. And I said, I'm really scared. I'm really mm. scared. Mm. And she said, Mom, 
you're overreacting. Of course, I didn't go into detail with her. Right. You know, but I kind of... And she of, knows her dad is Superman. I mean, right. think of all the things he's lived through. Right. And honestly, I was thinking he can beat this. Like, even if it's that bad, he's he's got this ability to heal his body. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we just caught it in the middle of it and his body's already repairing. Like, that's literally in my thought process. So we go on and <clears throat> Monday comes. I call my boss on Sunday and I said, I'm not coming to work. This is what's going on. He also tells me you're not a doctor. You shouldn't have Googled it. Yeah, everyone's trying to, to tell you not everyone's to Everyone's telling me that I'm overreacting and that I don't know what I'm talking about and that, you know, I'm just being ridiculous. Mm. And um, and I wasn't. I was on the phone all morning with my doctor's office. I finally told the doctor's office, which, I, you know, if people don't know this, if you refuse to hang up the phone on your doctor... If you say, I will not hang up this phone until I get an answer, they have, they cannot hang up the phone on you. Mm. So I, I ended up on the line. doing that. I, I ended up saying, I have been calling all morning. I need to talk to somebody. I read my husband's report and I need answers. And they finally came back online and they said, be here at the office at 630, wow. 630 at night after hours. after hours. And I, I knew right then. Like, this is bad. If they're going to make time for they're you, they're going to make right time for me hours. right away, but after hours when nobody else is in the office so that we can have our breakdown and have your time. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. You know, I hate this. I know. You know, we I gotta hate take this, a break. but we got to take a break. <laughs> I know. Everybody go catch your breath for a second because Michelle is going to continue her story as soon as we get back. All right, Michelle, 6.30 Monday night, what happens? So we walk in. Um, we, we were having some issues with a, a, a child of us, our, our younger son, and we started doing family counseling. And that was our first appointment, and it was scheduled for 7. Mm. <laughs> that was inconvenient. We didn't want to miss it because we were having... Because son cer- needed help. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he really needed help, and our family needed help, and we were really struggling, and we were really trying to find answers. And... Um, and so we had been dealing with all of that stress, and we go in at 6.30, and our doctor sets us down and says, well, um, we didn't call you, and the reason that we didn't is we're going to need to run a lot more tests. Um, the MRI came back, and it shows that you have cancer in your bones. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but where is it? Like, and he, Which bone? It, it, yeah, it was in his calf bones. It was in his hip. It was in his ribs. It was in his spine. And one of the things that I had read, um, which I'm not t- sharing any of the things that I've read or learned with John, and I actually never, ever did. Yeah. But one of the things I learned that if it's metastatic cancer, if that travels to the bones, and if it's past your kneecaps or your elbows, evidently, like if it reaches to bones that are like in your forearms or in your lower calves, that's a really bad sign. And typically people don't last more than a year. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. So that's the information I had found. So you Google. never told John that you read the report? No. And so the doctor's informing him, mm-hmm. confirming what you know. What's that moment like in that doctor's office? Uh, I think we were both really angry. I know I was. I was angry because I was like, I should have not been able to read that. And somebody should have called us sooner. Um, John was, John was a little bit of kind of a Buddha spirit. 
he had this ability to take things in and then not necessarily have reaction, which is why he was such a good partner for me. <laughs> Everybody um, who knows Michelle is totally laughing. I love you, Michelle. <laughs> right? I mean, because I'm highly yeah. emotional. And I feel things deeply and, he and greatly. Could, he could kind of ride it out. And he was better at having a stability about him. Yeah. And and he was very grounding to me in that way. And I, he very much, because of the way he handled things, it allowed me the ability to handle them so much better mm-hmm. than... Totally. Than if, he's, if he, he's your leveler. If, if, yeah. If he had broken down... Um, and it, and it's interesting because we really grew through this process, um, and and I I can illustrate that later. Um, but there, so it's heartbreaking. And of course, the first thing John says is, "Well, I think I want a second opinion." Sure. Fair. And so fair enough. We go to. Um, they send us to a urologist. They send us to all of these other people. Because it was prostate cancer, right? right. It was well, we didn't or, know at the oh, time. Didn't they know. didn't know okay. yet. They so, just knew that it was metastatic. Uh-huh. They just knew it was metastatic, that it, it derived somewhere else, and they weren't but sure. ended up in the bones. Yeah, and I'm not okay. exactly sure how they determined that. I don't but, know but eventually, they send them to a urologist. That urologist performs a biopsy, which, by the way, I'm going to tell... Maybe I shouldn't, because if any man needs to go do it, go get it done. But it is the most horrific p- procedure. And I was there with my husband, and I immediately apologized to him for for. I chose to have all my children naturally, and I, in the moment that I had was standing there with his biopsy, and I'm like, and and it's medicated, and it's still uncomfortable, and. I, I I looked at him and I said, I am so sorry I ever put you through <laughs> natural labors for me, you know, because it's hard to see to someone you someone love suffer. suffer. Of course, for me, it was a choice and sure. and, and it had a purpose. And in this, this moment, didn't it didn't seem like it was very purposeful, although it really was. So they get the biopsy back and the biopsy determines he, I, I think it was this biopsy. It's hard hard for me to, to recall it all exactly anymore. It's kind of getting cluttered. Cl- clustered but he ends up we get told that he has actually two of the most aggressive forms of prostate cancer they're not caused from chemical exposure they are not caused from genetics they are just randomly two very rare forms of cancer is what we were told so john decides that he wants to go to huntsman get a second opinion we end up there and he immediately really appreciates the truthfulness of that doctor so the the other doctor that we had, I think it was the urologist, I'm not sure, said, oh, you know, people live with this and there's treatments that we can do. But they actually wanted to castrate him, hmm. which, by the way, is like they don't even do that anymore. And John's like, I am dying with my balls. <laughs> I mean, he's a man, you know, and I, I can totally appreciate that. I mean, that's how he felt. And so he's like, I'm definitely getting the second opinion. When we get to the huntsman, he has gone over all all this work. He's gone over the test results. He's gone over everything. He walks into the door. um, An amazing, amazing doctor. His name is Dr. Agarwal. And um, he says, okay, first of all, I need to know what you know 
and what you've been told. Sure. And so we tell him and he goes, okay, okay. And he leaves the room. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what's going on here? Like, and it, he's just gone. Like, I don't know if he just needed to like take a breath or, or like gather himself because he had to come back in and set us straight. So we were told 10 to 15 years he has left to live. Things can be done, medications, treatment, whatever. And uh, he comes back in and he says, uh, we can do treatment, but the treatment has side effects and risk and can be problematic all on their own. And, um, but we can start you on that and that might get you three to four years. Mm. He's like, if you don't do treatment, you have maybe a year. Oh my gosh. Maybe six months to a year. And um, I, we were just stunned. We were, that was shocking. Yeah. And even though I had read that and I kind of felt like all things lead to that. And that's what I've been hearing, which is why I was really hopeful with all of this other stuff that I've been told. But the truth is always better, um, even if it's not even what you want to hear. Right. But you've got to at least know. You've got yeah. to know. Don't sugarcoat it. Yep. Yep. So the first thing John did is he looked at me and he said, I should have taken all of those vacations and trips with you and the kids that you wanted me to. Mm. And he wow. knew, he knew he was just of, right away. Out of time. Out of time. Out of time. And so that's what we did. We spent 22 months trying to do as much things with our children, trying mm-hmm. to uh, create memories, create mementos left behind, create some positive things that our kids could hold on to because yeah. we knew. But knowing that the end was coming pretty quickly. Yeah. We're out of like time I, already. I know I can't even breathe. We're gonna we got to take a few more minutes because you can't leave us there. We can we'll we'll stretch in a minute. Yeah. Tell me then what maybe walk us through. You've got those. How many months did he end up making it? And what is the end? Twenty two months. Twenty two months. Can you take us to the end of what it was and, and then your final goodbyes? Um. It was twenty two months and. He had a lot of ups and downs in in between that time. And actually, I'm going to write a book about this because I think that especially I'm sure there's other men out there that get prostate cancer when they're young. John would tell people all the time, I'm dying of an old man disease that old men don't even die from. Yeah. And and that's an accurate assessment. Right. Of you think what it's, it's quite a beatable cancer in yeah. terms of cancer. In fact, my dad got prostate cancer while my husband was diagnosed with it. And my dad's been oh, treated for it. My dad actually got, I think it was like non-Hodgkin or lymphoma or something. Mm-hmm. And during that treatment, they found that he had prostate cancer. He was treated for that. And that's been resolved. Wow. So, so it's like, we just didn't catch John's. We just didn't catch it. And that in and of itself is a whole nother story that I actually probably really can't go into a lot of detail over. But um, it it was a hard, it it was a hard 22 months. And there was a whole time. The whole time. There was, he, he did treatment. Let me just close it by saying he did treatment for six months. At six months, he said, I can't do this. The quality of life had diminished. He couldn't even go to work anymore. Work was his life and his passion. 
Um, so he quit the medicine. He had a rebound and he was doing actually better for a while. Wow. And then he had some really hard days. Um, there was one time he called me and I thought he got hit by a truck on the side of the free- freeway. All I could hear was him saying, Michelle, you need to come get me. I need to go to the hospital. The next thing I hear is squealing tires. Oh my gosh. I hear freeway noise. I hear big rigs moving. And I hear nothing for 10 minutes. I'm screaming on the phone. I leave my boss. I leave my work. I don't even tell him I'm leaving. I just walk out the door and get in my car. And and I don't even know where I'm going because he didn't tell me where he was. And I just start heading towards the house. He finally, I'm, I'm almost to our home. And he finally gets back on. And he's like, I, I'm here. I'm at, on the side of Highway 84 up and towards going towards Morgan. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I thought you got hit by a car. I didn't know. After that, we put Google Tracker, Google Maps. I always know so where he was. I could find him because I was terrified. Like, what if something happens? And he yeah. he was that personality that he refused to quit. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't going to stop working. He wasn't going to start stop doing jobs. And he, it, it was brutal. Man, it was brutal. I ended up having to take him to Huntsman that day. He was terribly ill. And um, we had a lot of highs and lows like that. So at the very end... He got sick again, and he took a downturn. But we kind of thought that he that it was just a downturn, and he'd come back again. So his sister was going to Hong Kong on a mission, and uh, we they came out to see him before they left because, of course, we thought he would pass away while, while they were there. And um, and so we had a dinner at my home, um, and that was lovely. And a good friend of mine came and catered it, um, who's a chef down in Provo. And um, and it, we had this beautiful time. By July 4th, which is his favorite holiday, he loved July 4th. We always had his, fam- his friends and our family over. We had mortars illegally that we'd fire off. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. That was uh, then. That was then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he just wasn't well. He never got out of bed that day. He waited until it was time. So I did the barbecue. People were like checking in on him. He stayed in our bedroom the whole time. He forced himself to get out of bed. He was able to light things off. He had this little cannon that he lit off. He d- did those things. He talked to the grandkids kind of loved on him a minute and then he was gone again back in bed not even a full hour was he up wow so i cleaned up everything people left and i thought this isn't good this is not good and i just kind of knew i i knew that we were coming to the end and it it wasn't long after that um the last 10 days were really difficult um the year before all he passed away he had um testified for the right to end life he really didn't want to lay in bed he didn't want to have to have to be cleaned to have a catheter to like he the, all of those things terrified this man who wanted to be under his own control and power yeah and um the last 10 days uh three days in i had to have a cna come help me give him a bath in bed and he kind of came to out of that and he was so angry and that yeah. broke my heart I, I'm still kind of angry. You know he wouldn't have wanted that. I wish I would have just done it myself, but I was so tired and I was at this point not really 
mentally all no, available. No, completely understandable. I, I'm doing 24-hour cares. I'm giving him hourly medications. And you're watching your husband die. Like, you yes. got to give yourself that. Oh, yeah. my gosh, Michelle. And I'm taking visitors from people that I don't know that are his friends. Or but everybody people wants that, a chance to say right. goodbye. And, um, you, you know, I'm trying to do everything that is the very best for him. I... So those last 10 days were horrible. He ended up having this death rattle for 10 days. They kept saying he was going to die any day from the day that that started. And I, I finally at day four was like, please don't say this again. He's yeah. not dying. He's never dying. This is a nightmare. Um, my youngest son wouldn't come to see him because the Sunday before he passed away, he, my son started hiding out in his bedroom. He wouldn't come back and to see his dad any longer because... That Sunday morning, he started throwing himself out of bed. John did. And he had no strength. And I thought, oh, and he has bone cancers. We're, we're told that he's going to die from his bones collapsing and basically bleeding internally. Like, he's going to die from the weight of his body. Of his own body. Mm-hmm. But uh, our last appointment was actually on our anniversary. It was on June 27th. And that's when I knew he was going to die because... He had really made his connection with one of the ladies up there at Huntsman. Her name was Wendy. And um, she gave him a big hug when we were walking out and just started bawling. Mm. And I, I'm like, oh, she knows. Oh, shoot. This she is knows. really the end. This is really, we are coming to the end. And so, um, you know, but you don't really know. Like, nobody can really predict. We've been told six months, a year. We're at 22 months. I'm thinking, well, maybe he rebounds. And he keeps telling me, I think I'm going to get better. I think, you know, he, he's this just, is just a downturn. Always, we'll get through yeah, it. Always the optimist. I'm, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get better. But so th- these last 10 days are this horrific nightmare. And to put it into perspective, he's throwing himself out of bed. And he's kind of like stick walking. And he's super thin at this point. And... um. And he's been gurgling this death gurgle. And so he sounds like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And and I'm having to get my son and my daughter to come and help me wrestle him, him back, back in down bed. into bed. And this happens three or four times. And he finally insists on going to the bathroom and, and, and insists on getting to the toilet. And what, he has a catheter in. There's nothing he's going to do on that yeah. toilet. And um, he um, he's sitting on the toilet. And he gets really lucid, and it's the last lucid moment I have with my husband. Mm -hmm. And he said, Michelle, what is happening to me? And I said, sweetheart, you're sick, you have cancer, and you're dying. And he goes, I don't want to, I don't want to die. And then he just fell into me. We got him back in bed. That was the last conversation I had with John. Um, The moment that he died was a Tuesday and I had some friends come, and they they stayed with him so I could go to lunch with my boss. And I told my boss, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I, he's got to die. I, We're I done. Can't, I, Everyone's done. I, I'm like, my kids can't handle this. I can't handle this. I'm not sleeping. I'm exhausted. I, I, I don't know how to, to go on. Like, I don't think I'm going to live through this. Like, I think my body's going to shut down and I'm going to die right along with him. And I got get home from that meeting and um, Alexis uh, tells me he's been crying the whole time you've been gone. And that made me really sad because I didn't 
realize that he was aware of anything. Even aware, sure. I, I just didn't know that he could hear and that he was conscious and that he was aware that I'd left. And when I got into bed, um, the week before, my daughter had stayed with him so I could go get a massage. And she said, Dad said that he loves to snuggle you. And she showed me how he had snuggled up with her. And, and he said, we we just watched TV and did this. And, and Dad said that that's how he wants to die. And so I had them put him in that position. And then actually, because they rolled him up to his side, he, that gurgling quieted down quite a bit. Because he wasn't laying on his back. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I had been wearing Bose headphones because this the sound becomes... So disturbing. So disturbing. So... Yeah. It's so traumatic. Yeah. And especially for that long. And um, so I... I fall asleep and I forget to wake up. I, for three hours I sleep. So he missed his medications and, um, and I got up and I got him his meds. And, um, while, while we were laying there in bed, uh, I played this Kane Brown song that I'd heard and, uh, it's called heaven. And the part of the lyrics are right here is where everyone says they can't wait to get to heaven, but right. But heaven's right here. It's where I want to be with you. Lying here next to you is where I want to be. Um, it's a beautiful song. I had not ever heard it. I heard it for the first time that week. I played that song and I said, I heard the song this week, John. And I said, you can't be here anymore. You've got to go. I said, I know that this is your idea of heaven, but I can't do this anymore. I need you to go. And we fell asleep. And when I got up, I could see clearly the mess of medical boxes and from medicines being brought in and all these things. And I got up and, and I said, you know what? I got to get up and do all your Tuesday chores. I've got to go feed the chickens. I need to clean up this room. I need to get the house in order. You would not be happy if you were up right now. You'd be complaining about what a mess this all is. And I got up and the, we had a tenant that was... Uh, living with us at the time in our basement. She helped me clean the entire house up. We got all of the boxes broken down and thrown away. I did the chores. I wiped down the kitchen. We swept up the floors. I mean, the house was clean. And I I go, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to lay with John. And I climbed back in bed and I got nose to nose with him. And I'm like, oh, your ladies miss you. They know something's going on. While I was out there feeding them, they were just so weird. And I could tell that they were just trying to to figure out why you haven't been out here. And um, I said, I really think that they know um, and they miss you. And I'm like, the house is clean and you'd be so happy. And then I noticed, I said, John, you're so quiet. You're quiet. And then I kind of backed my head out from him and I put my hand on his chest and I couldn't feel anything. And then I put my hand to his nose and I couldn't feel any breath at all. And so then I started taking his pulses. I checked his neck. I checked his wrist. And then I, and it, it's a home birth midwife, midwife moment. I look at the clock. What time is it? 8.17. And um, I jumped to the side of the bed and I think, did he just die? I mean, do I know he died? Do I diagnose that? Do I decide? Do, do I know that he's dead? 
And so then I ended up back up on, on my knees next to him in bed and I start t- doing all of his pulses. I'm checking his ankles. I'm checking his wrist. I'm checking and I, and I don't really know what to do. And then all of a sudden this excitement wells over me and I raise my hand in the air and I start going, oh my God, baby. Oh my God, baby. You made it. You made it. You crossed the line. And I was legitimately so excited for him. And then I called the hospice and they came and they took care of him. And I called the funeral home and I called all of the friends and family. And we had Richard, who who was the one who lost his wife, come and give him a a family prayer and blessing. And um, because that was going to be the last time we saw him, we had him cremated. And um, my kids came. We we said goodbye. My little four-year-old had been watching Coco and climbed up in bed and reached out to his papa's hand and sang, remember me. And we all lost it. <laughs> and oh, he sang it gosh. word for word and so beautifully. To his sweet little grandpa. To his sweet little grandpa. And those two were so close. They still are. They okay. still are. Michelle, you've got us all in tears. <laughs> like, I don't know how I can even wrap this up. Um, future episode, we're going to have you tell us what's happened the last two, three years, because we know you've been incredibly resilient, not just through uh, John's illness, but since and the great things you've done. But I know I speak for all of our listeners and saying thank you for sharing so many details and such a personal glimpse at John's struggle and the love that you two share in your sweet family. And to all of our listeners, I know you're probably crying like me, so go find your tissues. <laughs> and then we really want to hear from you. We want you to give us a rating and a review on the podcast, what you like, what you want us to improve or change. And mostly we want to hear your story because no matter who you are and what you've lived through, we know you have a real-life story of something really hard that you've faced whether it's involved burying or cremating someone or not, life is just full of hard things. And these kinds of stories I know leave us feeling sad and heartbroken, but also inspired and determined to just keep going. So we're grateful that you've joined us today. We hope you'll stay with us each week. Go find us on social media or on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient. You can either comment on any of our week's episodes or send us a message. And again, please, if you or someone you know has a real life story to share, please reach out to us. Let us share your story with our listeners. Let us inspire and uplift. And basically, let's walk hand in hand, arm in arm as we help each other through this crazy life we're all a part of. And remember, (laughs) above all. (laughs) Oh, this is great. This is what happens when you tell your own story. You get your heart just stops. Uh, Remember, whatever you do, be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their own lives.